Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Okay, Addiction Unlimited fam, you know I am super excited about this episode. We talk about relationships so much within our tribe and our Facebook group and how to navigate relationships, especially when one partner is making these huge, significant life changes and the other partner isn't. And there's a lot of pitfalls in this. It brings up a lot of fears and discomfort on both sides of the coupleship. And I've been looking forever for someone to come on the show and share some insight who's actually been through this. And I finally found the person. And really, I have to say thank you to one of our Facebook group members because they are who threw this name out for me, which led me to the lovely Beverly Buncher. And she is going to share with us her experience, the BALM program, BALM method. You guys are going to love this. Let's take a minute and welcome Beverly to the show. Beverly, thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. Thank you so much, Angela. It's great to be here. Why don't you take a minute and just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. Well, I'm a person in long-term recovery, food addiction, and family recovery. And um, about 36 years ago, I met my husband and uh, I was in recovery and he wasn't. And his drugs of choice were, I think, cough syrup and something else. I, you know, I don't remember now. It's just not that important today for me. Um, and I loved him. And I was going to meetings and people said, get rid of him. What's wrong with you? I remember my one of my OA friends saying to me, you're nuts. This is going to ruin everything. And I said, I love it. What I did is I went to meetings every day and I would go to Al-Anon and really try to find the solution of how to have a happy life. And um, it wasn't working for me. So I dug deeper. I dug into the literature. And I studied the original Al-Anons and what they said about how to live with someone who's challenged and how to help them. And I did what they said. And it took me about nine months to get to the point of being willing to do that. And then I did it. Within a very short amount of time, my husband was in treatment. After pushing, begging, cajoling, I did this little thing and he went into treatment. And when he came out of treatment, he was at a meeting and I was in the back room. He said, she's the reason that I'm sober today. And I said to him afterwards, don't you ever say anything. I'll get kicked out of Al-Anon. I'm not alive. <laughs> so, you know, that was then, this is now. What I've learned since is that the family and the research backs it up. The family has an enormous contribution to make to uh, a loved one's recovery. And uh, I know that for a lot of people, when they're in recovery and their loved one isn't, the road to the door is short because they've been told, don't put yourself at risk. At the same time, I think it's possible to be there for someone 
while being there for yourself. And that's what I teach families and what I coach about and what I write about. And that's what I do. How did you navigate those conversations with people telling you, like, get rid of him? It's a great question. The funniest was when I went to either Families Anonymous or Narnon, and these parents came over to me and they cornered me. It was like they pinned me to the wall and said, what's wrong with you? We have no choice. You can get out. You're not even married yet. What's wrong? I mean, like they were going crazy on me. I said, look, I, I love this guy. He's a lot more than an addiction. He's a human being and he's funny and he's smart and he's gifted and we have fun together. I just have to figure out how to be in relationship with someone who has these problems. And then there was another lady who said to me, look, do you realize how low your self-esteem must be to be involved? I said, tell me something I don't know. That's my life's work is Mm -hmm. self-esteem and balance. So somebody who has really high self-esteem and is high functioning at this point, I don't think we jive. This guy and I, we're going to work our stuff out together. I'm not worried about it. And that's, that's what we've done. Yeah. I love that. That's so powerful. I feel like there are so many people questioning, how do I do this? You know, certainly with substance and I'm getting sober now and my life is completely different, but my partner is not. And how do you navigate the ins and outs of daily life and what that looks like? And, you know, it is getting sober, you know, from alcohol and drugs for sure is it, it triggers so many things inside of you and so many fears and everything in your future becomes unknown and as damaging as addiction is there's comfort in knowing what's going to happen. Like I knew every day how I was going to feel. I knew what I was going to do. I knew what it was going to be like. There was no unknown and there is comfort in that. Well, now all of a sudden you put your substance down, everything becomes unknown. You have so much fear. How am I going to do this? Am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be good at it? Is my person going to stay with me or do I want to stay with my person? And then you have all the fears that are triggered in the other person. (laughs) I mean, it's just a lot. And how do you walk through that and keep your relationship intact? I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, I'd say in a nutshell, love yourself love them and have empathy for the fact that exactly as you said, you're going through it, they're going through it. They're seeing you change before their eyes and they're scared to death. So your job isn't to fix it. Your job is to be loving. In relationships, any of us that have been in a relationship, we know that loving someone and being in a relationship is a choice that you have to make every day, every Every day. day. Right. And, and it is so important to remember those, be empathetic, be patient, be understanding with each other, because 
listen, we're not always going to like one another, right? I'm not going to love everything my person does. I'm not going to love everything they say. I'm not going to love every decision they make. I'm not going to agree with all of it, right? But I have to make it. I don't know what you're talking about. My husband and I agree (laughs) about everything. Everything. It's all perfect. (laughs) Let me tell you that I have a saying, there's a the different, the main difference between couples that stay together and couples that don't is that the couples that stay together, stay together. That's the first step is making a decision today. I'm here. Okay. So if you're in a situation where your loved one is still struggling and you're doing better and you, you know, you're doing what you need to do to take care of you and you don't know how long you can take what their journey is. I'd like to share the calendar with you. You take out a calendar. Remember when we used to have calendars and you, you go three months ahead and you write, how are things now? Six months ahead. How are things now? Nine months ahead. How are things now? 12 months ahead. What are, how are things now? And then in the moment and until that three month point, you make a decision today, I'm staying today. I'm working on me and I'm loving him or her. And one day at a time, that's the journey. Taking care of your side of the street, so to speak, and loving them. Oh, we just love to go over to their side of the street, though. We just love to go over there and tell them what's wrong with them, what they need to do better, how they need to communicate better, how you need to treat me better. We love to get on their side. Yeah. Oh, that one especially. (laughs) You could speak nicer to me. Listen, here's the thing. It's not that there isn't anything to say to them that could be helpful, but it's how you do it. It's when you do it and it's why you do it. So what I've learned over the years is that when I fill myself with peace and love, and that is a commitment to a mindfulness practice daily, there's room in my heart for someone else. When I don't have that practice, I'm on the edge. So watch it. You say the wrong thing, man, you're in trouble. So my job first is to stay mindful. We have a, we have seven steps to be a loving mirror. Balm stands for be a loving mirror. And to be a loving mirror means to live from unconditional love. And you start with step one, be the peace you wish to see in the world. That's mindfulness. And it's a, it's a practice and it's a choice and it frames everything else. What I found in the last couple of years of my husband's last relapse in the 2000s, like 2005 to 2008, he was in a very bad relapse. And I was about ready to go over the edge, really. And I found a mindfulness teacher and I got calm and still, and I was okay. I wasn't in denial, I was just okay. And so then on the basis of that, I could make decisions about how to relate. So one of the things that happens when you get a really good mindfulness practice going is you start to be able to watch your thoughts instead of just having these thoughts that are going, you watch them and you go, oh, I hate him today. Or, oh, look at that. I'm thinking about how he's ruining my life. Or, oh, I could do much better or whatever it is. And you're watching these thoughts and you're going, 
that isn't really a healthy way to spend your mental time, but that's what I'm doing. Okay. The second step is to observe clearly of the balm. Observe the world around you. So you observe what your loved one is doing and say and saying, and you get clear about it. Are there things that he's doing and saying that are harmful to him, harmful to me, harmful to our relationship? Be aware of them and don't judge them. Just mm. be aware that he is where I once was absolutely uh, troubled. Mm -hmm. And so my job is to just be aware and I can help him see past his blind side. I believe that that is a big responsibility that we can take, we can choose to take on in married life or in any kind of couplehood. Because really, who better to help you see past your blind side than someone who loves you more than life? But think about it. I can see past your blind side and this is what's happening. It doesn't work that way, right? They're going to say, why are you criticizing me? So there's a very specific way we teach families to do this. And it starts by just observing, becoming very clear about what are the facts and what are my opinions about the facts. Mm -hmm. So you're at peace. You start to see what's happening. You see somebody come in and collapse on the floor. You hear them yelling uh, mean words to you or whatever. And, and you're just observing. But inside, your heart's racing and you... <gasps> so then step three of our method is become aware of your inner emotional landscape without judgment. So see how you are feeling as you're, as you're experiencing this way that your partner is behaving. Hear how it's affecting you just in your body, but don't judge yourself for it. And then that really that idea of be the peace, observe objectively, become aware of your inner landscape without judgment. That's a lifetime practice, right? Mm -hmm. That's just being at comfortable in your own body and not having to go on the other person's side and, you know, make things uncomfortable in an, in a useless way. <laughs> but how about if you want to make things uncomfortable in a helpful way? Let me put it differently. How about if you want to be helpful? What do you do? Well, if the person that you love is struggling with a use disorder or really anything that is throwing things off, we have four more steps. You document the facts of what you see in here. Just jot them down, mm -hmm. not in front of them. Oh, I see you mm -hmm. doing this. And I no. you run into the bathroom or before you go to bed, you know, fell over the couch. Um, $16 missing from my purse. Mm -hmm. um, boss called to get him to go to work, etc. Whatever those things are, but just the facts. You notice I'm not saying that son of a gun didn't go mm -hmm. to work again today. You have to have a place to write that. That's called your journal. Mm -hmm. This is your documenting book and you're just writing the facts. And then when, and you look for a pattern because things can be, you know, something can just happen. And that doesn't mean you've got a problem. When there's a pattern, 
then you get ready to have a conversation. And the first step is to script it. Our conversations start with love, always start with love, then share the facts, a concern, end with love, and then something trivial like, what would you like for lunch? (laughs) So it would be like this. Let's say that your spouse, just those three things I mentioned, see if I can remember them. Mm, Not sure, but I'll try. Okay. Sweetheart, I love you. Oh, first of all, you ask, could we have a conversation? When would be good for you? And they have to be lucid. You don't want to have a conversation with someone who is under the influence to the point where they can't remember anything because it's a waste of their time and your time. It'll turn bad. So when they're lucid, you ask for the conversation. Sweetheart, I've noticed some things and I just wanted to share them with you because I know if you noticed them in me, you'd share them. That's what being loving is, being aware together, blah, 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 however you want to say it. But you just remember tone is critical in these conversations. And um, and then you say, well, last week, uh, $16 was missing from my purse when I woke up that was there when I went to sleep. And this morning, you walked across the living room floor and fell over and it took you a while to get up. I tried to help you, you pushed me away. You know, and the third thing that happened was, do you remember what I said? The third thing that happened was, um, I asked you where you'd been and you told me that you were at work, but your work called me and told me you weren't there. So these things concern me, sweetheart. They really do. And I love you so much. By the way, what do you want for lunch? That's a balm conversation. Be a loving mirror. You hold a loving mirror up to your loved one. There's no judgment. There's no, you know, they say the Al-Anon cheer. None of that, right? Only love. And then you drop it and you go and live your day. Balm conversations are a drip, drip, drip. So that what they do, what we believe in, in heart-to-heart communication. So my words go from my heart to your heart under the layer of denial so that your hijacked brain is sort of put aside to your healthier brain and you're able to hear it. And series of these conversations can help a person wake up. Sometimes that's all that's needed. Interventionists have told me that families that have, that their loved ones going through these bulb conversations are much easier to work with for an intervention. And it's much easier to get through to the loved one because they've already heard it. It's not new. You know, what we know in education is that you have to know 70% of something in order to learn the other 30%. That's research. So drip, 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 and then one day, boom. So that's our that's our method. I mean, there's so much more to it. There's but that's well, interesting. Does that help? Yeah. And interesting that you brought up intervention. I've been an interventionist for I realized that yeah, when you smiled. Years and, years. and I and I was thinking as you were laying out that conversation that this is really similar to an intervention letter. 
you yes. know, in interventions, yes, we typically have two letters and, and everything you're saying is very standard intervention letter process also. Yes. And absolutely. it is like people don't understand the, I was just having this conversation with a family earlier today. People don't understand the importance of non-blaming, non-shaming. Right. And especially people in relationships together, that blaming finger pointing, I want to tell you everything that's wrong with you and everything that I want you to do differently. So I can feel better. We get so caught up in that, that we forget. And I'll say this to clients. I'm like, well, somebody said it to you like that. What would your response be? And when you think about it in that way, people are like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't appreciate that. I'm like, right. So why are you going to say it to your person like that? Like that sucks. Let's figure out how to say this in a different way. So that's why we say be the peace is the foundation. Because if you can come from peace, you're not going to say it that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now there's, there's learning that has to go on because you can be peaceful and something can trigger you. You can start flooding and all bets are off. So Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot to it and yet that's the essentials, Mm -hmm. but it's such a beautiful life changing thing. When you, when you have that perspective and you can reframe things in a way that, that is comfortable and loving and kind and creates a safe place for your person. Like, listen, I'm not walking into the space you're providing. If it's a battlefield, I am not walking in to have that conversation with you. But if you create a safe space that is okay, I'm okay to walk in there and have a difficult conversation. But I'm not going to walk in to get my head chopped off. That's right. (laughs) And so, you know, families who are willing to have these little snippets of conversations and then go on with life, you know, a family gets traumatized, a family member can get traumatized and then that's all they can think about. Mm -hmm. I've got to get them sober. And they look at the person and that's all they're thinking about. What relationship is there? None. Mm -hmm. So let's get back to the relationship. Let's have peace and love, whether they get into recovery or not, because guess what? There's no guarantee Mm -hmm. that they will. Mm -hmm. And you love this person. Well, even in recovery, creating a relationship with another person in recovery, there's no guarantee they're going to stay that way. That's right. No, I mean, relapse is a very real thing in our world. So yeah, there's no, there are no guarantees. I'd love it if you could share some good Al-Anon insights. I think a lot of our listeners don't know that side of the recovery world too. When I got into Al-Anon, the thing that I remember is the four C's. You didn't cause it. You can't control it. You can't cure it, but you don't have to contribute to it. Not contributing to it became my sort of what I was seeking. How do I not contribute to it? The old timers understood it. The newer timers, not so much. That's why I started to read the books. Mm -hmm. And in our own method, we added three more. So it's didn't cause it, can't control it, can't cure it. You can contribute to recovery. You are the fifth C is you are connected to your loved one on a level deeper than their addiction. 
you can learn to communicate and you are always at choice, which is a twist on it's the same thing as Al-Anon's. There are no victims. There are only volunteers. Mm-hmm. Al-Anon is fabulous about helping people to understand this idea. You are responsible for how you feel, how you think for everything. It's not about the other person. Amen to that. Al-Anon was so valuable to me. And my sponsor had me do Al-Anon early in my sobriety. And I have always said, I feel like everybody on the planet should go to Al-Anon. I agree. Well, I like what Dr. Tversky used to say. There are only two kinds of people in the world, those who work the 12 steps and those who don't. And those who don't really ought to. (laughs) Well, there's definitely value in the lessons, but what I love about 12 steps too, and I'm a 12 stepper, but, Mm -hmm. but I don't believe that that's the only place that you can learn those principles. Right. And that was such a beautiful light bulb moment for me was when I got far enough in my recovery that I could see really the principles and the philosophies of life and life change that I was going through and having the realization like, oh, well, you can learn. You don't have to be in 12 steps mm-hmm. to learn this stuff. Mm-hmm. 12 step was great for me because it gave me something to be committed to. And it gave me a place to show up every day. So yes. it allowed me to gauge my commitment also, right? Like, am I falling mm-hmm. up? Just like going to the gym. Am I showing up or am I not showing up? Yes. Am I creating some accountability for myself? So if I don't show up, people are wondering where the heck I am, you know, because that's important too. It is it's, community it is just, critical. It's critical. And 12 steps for me was just the cheat sheet. You know, they put it all together and all yes. I had to do was show up and follow some simple suggestions, Absolutely. which was what I needed then because my brain was scrambled. I was so overwhelmed with life and dysfunction and anxiety and drama and trauma. And like, it was all so much. I could not make a decision to save my life. So I needed the place to go to just sit down and be quiet and follow the lead of the other people that had already accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Right. It was a beautiful solution. And for some people, it is one, I mean, Al-Anon is a wonderful program. All of the 12-step programs, I, I just adore. At the same time, what I discovered when I started to help people is there are many people who need more. They need more of a guide, especially for families. Okay, I know how to help myself. I know how to not contribute, but how do I contribute to the recovery? And that's what, that's what my entire program is, teaching them yeah. step by step. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Guarantee, no, but pretty good chance. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, families can be their loved one's best chance at recovery. And that's why a lot of long-term 12 steppers are in our program. They call it Al-Anon on steroids Mm -hmm. because it really goes in depth into the self-care as well as the relationship. And for family members, both are critical. How do you help somebody stop How do you find those resources? How do you do everything you need to do so that you're not making things worse? How do you navigate if your person 
has no desire to get sober or get into recovery, if they want to continue their life as is, and they have an expectation that the, the relationship continue and that you don't drive them crazy about their (laughs) substance. Like, how do you navigate that situation? Yeah. So that is a decision that every person has to make for themselves. We invite people to consider that there are ways that you can relate, which aren't designed to manipulate or coerce because that does not work, but simply by being your best self and relating in ways that help them open their eyes without, you know, just naturally through the way that you're relating, that you can have a tremendous impact. And so a lot of our families choose to do that, but at the same time, they're learning how to be the peace and how to be the love. And so it makes it easier to be in relationship. We have, we have this one principle, be a loving mirror is the journey and the destination. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I'm sure you've heard this story that if you treat, it's an Al-Anon story. If you treat your loved one with, you know, as a piece of poop, you know, just treat them terribly while they're in addiction. And after 10 or 20 years, they get sober. Meanwhile, you're miserable because they've ruined your life and you've wasted your life. Blah, 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 blah. And they're like, Hey, I'm sober now. And you're like, Ugh, I don't, I don't care about you. you've ruined my life. Come on. They didn't ruin your life. Your mind and your behaviors ruined your life. If on the other hand, you decide to be the peace and be the love and learn the principles and steps, we say of the balm, but it can be of Al-Anon, it can be a combination, it can be whatever family recovery method will transform you inwardly. You can have a beautiful life while they're still doing their thing. You have more of a chance to influence their path. And if and when they get into recovery, you can share a beautiful life together as opposed to being so resentful, which is unfortunately how a lot of couples end up. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that challenge too, is you are not always the person that your partner wants to receive information from. (laughs) That's absolutely true. You can be very willing to deliver messages, but it doesn't mean that they can receive them from you. That's absolutely true. And you have to know if, when, how, and who else, because there may be another person who can really help them. And there are, there are so many ways to be your loved one's best chance. It's, uh, it's important first to know that you have a role to play in their recovery that change happens in stages. It isn't something that, you know, they're going to go to treatment and everything's perfect, Mm -hmm. but they're going to have their journey. And then to let go of obsessing about them, but don't give up on being helpful in ways that work and don't give in to their manipulation. And finally, know that you can be their best chance. How can you be their best chance? By staying out of denial by using leverage when appropriate, which is basically negotiation, by not enabling, but helping when it's appropriate, and by uh, setting boundaries. And we say, like Melody Beatty, boundaries are about you, not about them. It's not, you have to set boundaries on him. No, 
I set boundaries for myself. This is as far as I'll go. These are the things I will and won't tolerate. And you don't set them unless you're a thousand percent sure that that's the case, because otherwise you're going to break them and then you'll have no credibility. And that's when the ship really goes down. (laughs) Again, same conversation with intervention. You know, when we're at that place, like if we are going to draw a line in the sand, the line in the sand does not have to be huge and profound. The most important piece of that is that you are willing to toe that line, no matter what you have to be willing to stick to it. Right. Whatever right, it is, right. you know, we cannot break yes, it. So that's yeah. right. That's so hard for families. Yeah. yeah. Well, but that's also why you, you try to figure out how to utilize those bottom lines as we call them, whatever your bottom lines are going to be, you, you figure out how to utilize them to the best of your ability, but not to make them so big that people are uncomfortable right. with them and that they can't Start follow small through. And right. Up. Absolutely. Right. Because we can work with anything, you know, yes. we can work with anything. Yes. If you're laying out the information properly, we can work with anything, but the worst thing you can do is not follow through once you've drawn that line. Agreed. Agreed. What has been your most valuable lesson you have taken from Al-Anon? Oh my God. That's a hard one. You're, Somebody asked my me sponsor, that. Like, my sponsor. Oh, I got it. My sponsor uh, changed my life. Amen. And um, she told me from the very beginning, I would, I would have the phone in my hand and I would say, I was a newlywed. I am going to take this phone. I am going to smash it through the TV. I'm going to take these heels. I'm going to hit them over the head. You know, this is how I talked. Okay. And she would say, you hear me breathing? She would breathe and she'd say, sweetheart, your primary task is to be a loving person. That's it. Your only obligation to another adult human being is to be a loving person. Number one. Number two, stay in present time. Don't go off into projecting, worrying, craziness. Be here in this moment and then this moment. So powerful. It's the most simple things that have the most profound effect. Yes. Yeah. How about you? What are, what are yours? uh, My sponsor for sure uh, from AA. I mean, my sponsor was one of the greatest gifts I've ever had in my life. I mean, just really, yeah, just the absolute perfect person for me. Right. Um, But there's just no way that I could narrow it down. You know, like I feel like I always say my mom, built my foundation, right. Mm -hmm. Of honesty, integrity, Mm -hmm. hard work, like being a good person, but it was really AA and my sponsor that built me as Mm -hmm. an adult, right. And allowed me to grow into a person that I never even knew I was capable of being because I was such a crappy person for so long. And in so many ways, you know, I didn't know that I was capable of being good and there's just so many pieces of life that I learned in those rooms. And again, not that that's the only place to learn those lessons. That's just where I learned them, you know, but 
how to be a good human, stay on your side of the street was really huge mm-hmm. for me. Um, all you can control is what fits in your hula hoop, right? Yeah, Which is pretty right. much just me and, and my dog. But huge, but all of those things and they're cliche. You yeah, can me and control my dog. your dog. Yeah, I, have I got two him. Of them here who were barking like crazy. I guess I did control them. I shut the doggy door. <laughs> yeah, but that's I mean, all of those. <laughs> there's so many of those little things that uh, that were just the things that I live by. Right. You know, learning gratitude. Right. I was so selfish and self-absorbed, and I functioned solely out of a victim mindset for so much of my life. And to shift to a place of having gratitude and understanding what that means, and even having the wherewithal to notice things to be grateful for, because all of that escaped me prior to recovery. Wow. That's magnificent. Yeah. It's, it's so beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's life-changing experience of my life. The 12 steps and everything that goes with it for me was a total game changer. And yet it was really, it, it took everything that I'd learned from my family, from my religious tradition, from the best teachers I had and put it in three categories, trust God, help others, and uh, trust God, clean house, help others. Mm-hmm. And when I'm focused on those three things, my life works. And when I'm not, eh. <laughs> well, and really understanding too, you know, my only job, and I say this all the time, especially my friends, like my only job is, is to love you and respect you as a human being. It is not my job to judge you, to judge what you're doing and tell you if it's good or bad. It is not my job to give you approval. You know, that is not what I'm here. My job is to love you and respect you as my friend. And that's all. I don't have, and and as your partners too, right? Like I don't need to put all my judgments on your behavior and what you're doing. Like, it's just crazy. And it's human nature. I mean, we do it right. It takes a lot of practice to work your way out of that being your natural response. But, um, but yeah, it is, it's so valuable and to allow your person and your friends and your family or whoever to allow them the opportunity to feel that kind of love, right? With it is that unconditional, like, listen, I don't, I might not agree with everything you do. Every choice you make might not be a choice I would make in my life. It doesn't make you less deserving of love Mm -hmm. and respect and kindness and grace. And that's what I will do. I'm good with that. (laughs) That is respecting the other person's journey. Yes. And I learned it from my sponsor too, because my sponsor said to me, I went through a breakup uh, years ago and it was bad. And I was so sad and I was so disrespected and, and I'm calling him every name in the book, right. And my sponsor's like, God, are you finished? (laughs) I was like, well, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure if I'm finished. And he said to me, he said, uh, he goes, you know, he is perfectly allowed to be exactly where he is in his journey. He does not have to be where you want him to be. And I was like, wow, of course I hadn't thought of that because I was so consumed in all the injustice that had been done to me. Mm -hmm. I was so consumed in all my own stuff. And it was in that moment that I really took a second to think about the person and think, 
of his trauma and everything he had been through. And I was like, oh, wow, you know what? I'm just a step in his journey. And that's what it is. And I have to get to a place of being okay with that. You know, it doesn't hurt less, but it is putting it in that perspective of it's not about me. Everybody else's journey is not about me. (laughs) No, it isn't. That's beautiful. Yeah. And they don't need my approval. (laughs) No. And you don't need theirs. Right. Which is just as important. Yes. And a tough, a tough practice also yes to get to where you can just be okay and who you are and what you're doing and not explaining yourself and not apologizing like I don't need to do any of that I don't owe anyone an explanation I will conduct myself as I conduct myself same thing I will be kind and respectful and and I have an expectation that people are the same to me that's all beautiful it's a heck of a journey I tell you We're very fortunate people. Very fortunate. No question. Okay. Our last question, favorite question. What is your favorite thing about, I'll say, I usually say, what's your favorite thing about being a sober person? What's your favorite thing about living a life of recovery? Freedom from the craving, freedom from the urge, you know, the, uh, (laughs) I don't know a different way to put it. Yeah. You know, just that. Ah, oh, I'm just enjoying my life, enjoying my body, enjoying my relationships and my choices and my work. And it's all because of recovery. Yeah, for sure. And that doesn't mean that every day is perfect and that it we're isn't. super happy every day. <laughs> I know, but I feel like people forget, like, listen, right. some days are going to be crap. They yeah, just are. Right. That's you right. know? And that's okay. That's it's not the end of the right. world. We can get through those things. Nobody's ever died from being uncomfortable. So I can have some days that aren't, you know, that I'm not knocking it out of the park and that's okay. Absolutely. Well, Beverly, thank you so much for coming on and doing thank this. You with for me. having me. Yeah, really thank you for sharing your you. journey. My pleasure. Thanks for sharing yours. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.